Hi, I'm Stuart Huff. At night, I'm a stand-up comedian, but during the day, I spend my time roaming through junk shops that hopefully smell like mildew. I'm not looking for antiques. Nah, I'm looking for items that spark my curiosity. And if it's the right price, then they come home with me. This podcast is accurately named Stuart Huff's Obsessive Curiosities. Welcome to another episode of Stuart Huff's Obsessive Curiosities. Well done, sir. Yeah, I did. 12 episodes in or so. Not bad. Uh, Not not bad. Not bad. Tom Simmons is with me today, and Tom... uh, it's this is what you've been on 12 episodes yes i'm shocked that you haven't quit yet i'm shocked really and i'm and and it's a compliment to me yeah to you yes to me that you haven't quit you i've seen you quit everything it's awesome Ah. it's like i've been on the road with tom and we'll be at some club and the manager come up and go yeah by the way uh you have to do radio tomorrow at 6 30 a.m and tom would be like i'm out I quit. Right. You know, you knew I'm kidding when I do that, right? This club kidding. is not worth <laughs> 630 in the morning. Look at this. There's plastic chairs. Look at this crap on the wall. It's, I'm, I quit. I quit. We did start a tour with another guy, and he told you did tell your wife before you left that you're going to be surprised if we, if, this, if we don't. Well, somebody doesn't quit in the first week. I did. I told her that, and I would have bet fifty dollars, fifty bucks. Yes, which was actually what you were paid for the first set on that tour. I think. <laughs> that's that's no, correct. No, we did not get fifty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> we did no, not. There was no room. There was all. It all went wrong. <laughs> it all went wrong. I tried to quit. Tom tried multiple times to quit, and eventually he succeeded. But it took longer than a week. <laughs> it was damn near three, four weeks. No, hang think. in there, dude. You know, yeah, I, I, know. I was encouraged when I read the Da Vinci. Um, Biography, oh. no, with the biography about how much he didn't finish, how many projects he started and didn't finish, how many of his paintings were never completed, and the things that he got paid to do, he just blew it off. He just blew it off, didn't right. do them. It's right. nice that you could read a biography that would encourage that behavior. <laughs> right, of Da Vinci as like, well. I'm just like da Vinci. I'm like Da Vinci without the, you know, without any of the... The talent. The, the talent. <laughs> we, we both stopped things. He mid- broke ground in so many fields, but he quit a couple times. Oh, that's the thing I need to focus on. <laughs> right, that's, see? He's a quitter. He really did that's only a have a few completed now, projects. You didn't finish that book, right? I finished the book. Okay. That, that's that shocking. Is, yeah. It, it must have been a lot about the quitting. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. I do not quit things. Yeah. I, you don't. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed you didn't take that softball. You went, eh, I got partway through. Yeah, yeah I know. I, 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 I know. You it. thought you'd throw it out there. And, it right. was, yeah. and that's Peter John Burns. Hello. That's his voice over there. And this is, uh, I, I don't know. I think in my mind, this, I'm fascinated with what we're going to talk about today. Fascinates me. I have no clue of the two men in front of me. What are going to agree. Fascinate you? Well, I, I, there's a lot of things that don't fascinate me. We know? talked about this. Hummel figurines don't. Hummel figurines me. don't fascinate. But if 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 you show me a lady in the middle of Missouri who collects them and wakes up thinking about them, and she fascinates me, the Hummels themselves don't fascinate me. Right. You you're looking for someone who is obsessed, and if it's preferably something obsessive that they're you know concerned about that no one else in their right mind would also be obsessed about then you're in yes yeah so what makes uh peter and i like 
junk you found in a shop. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're, what, you're are, what, what about our curiosity? You're my guest. I'm not going to insult you. Okay. I'm not going to think. I'm not going to tell you that I think of you as pieces of junk that I found on the road. <laughs> but I that, mean, it's accurate. But right, I'm yeah, not going to. I'm not going to say that. Well, what is our obsessive thing that make and our curiosity that that makes you go like ah uh, those like like That's we're ex- that lady. We're that, that lady. We're going to get to it in this podcast. What you just said is what to me kind of this is like it to, will you please just validate tom for a minute just let come on give him throw him a bone <laughs> what is it about me what is like me yeah what's me. About, what am i doing here why am i here for 12 straight episodes why am i you know what, what what's going on here? i don't know why why do we drive to springfield for 600 <laughs> and then we complain about it Right. And we're there and we complain. And then when we get an email that says, do you want to come back? Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I mean, it's it's nuts. I don't I don't know what it is about. I ha- I have a thing that I really like it when somebody puts a passion of theirs above money in their order of importance, important things in life. Right. There's something gorgeous, even if I don't understand their passion. Even if it, if it, even if I don't like the, I mean, you know, I, some things popped in my head that I, I'm not talking about the clan or something evil. I'm talking about you, you know, something kind of quirky and bizarre that you're really into and fly, fly fishing and you're making your own flies and you're really into this. And I just, I have a love for it. So I'm in a junk shop in Mississippi, Uh a good one. I still remember the smell of this place. Really? Yes. I don't remember numbers at all. And I'm talking about like without and this is without exaggeration, without uh, lying about this. I have several times in my life forgotten my own birthday. Uh, I've been single. I'm not with anybody, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just driving along. My mother calls me and goes, happy birthday. And I go, oh, yeah. Okay. I don't remember numbers. I remember colors. I remember words. I remember smells. You know, so you, this shop. Before you get to the smell, like is ha, is it is it a shop that you go to regularly, or how did you find it initially? I or? had never been to this shop before. I had never seen this shop, but Mississippi is a place for that. It's. I remember this has nothing to do with what we're about to talk about. This story just popped in my head. I got to tell it. I'm in uh, the rural Mississippi, middle of nowhere Mississippi. Okay. And I get off the interstate to to get some gas, and I I got you know I got a little time. I'm not in a rush, so I I go from the gas station and just hit some back roads, you know. And I'm just driving around, kind of you know poor kind of neighborhoods, you know little houses, you know. They, and I take a left, and I see a man, uh, older African American, sitting in a lawn chair, on his in his yard he's it's a small little house with a small little yard all right with a sidewalk out front and he's sitting in this lawn chair and his house just looked like a junk shop there's no sign that says welcome or open or (laughs) it just looked junky there's piles of stuff and there's and he's sitting in the front and he's got a little transistor radio that probably it should not work anymore this is in the probably late 90s, early 2000s. This radio shouldn't work anymore, but it, it is, and he's got the antenna that he's pulled, and he's just sitting out there. Is there tinfoil at the end of the antenna? I don't. I wish I could say yes to that, but I don't think there was. I think he, you know. He has a junk shop. He has t- 10 transistor radios that work correctly. Yeah, probably. Right. Yeah. He just rotates them. This was Thursdays. 
so I pulled the car over and I parked and I just kind of walked down the sidewalk and I said hello to him, right? And he said, howdy, like that. And I said, it's nice, nice day, you know, just making conversation. Yeah, it is. And I finally get around to like, I'm like, hey, you, you got some good looking stuff back there. You, is this a you shop? you see stuff from where you are. Oh, he's got a carport, okay, that the, his car is not parked in it. His car is parked in his little driveway because you can't fit a car in there. Right. It's just junk, Right. And it doesn't look garage junk, like his cooler and his fishing rods and, and the snowblower. And, yeah. yeah, it doesn't look like a garage. This looks like a, a person that it col- he collects or sells, one or the other. So I say to him, uh, you got good looking stuff over there. And he goes, have a look around. I go, okay. You know, and then when he, he raised his hand to say, have a look around, he his fingernails were painted purple. An elderly person. African-American with fingernails painted purple. It was, it just caught my eye and it's just so strange, right? Prince's dad. Prince's dad. <laughs> it was <laughs> Prince's dad. <laughs> yeah. So I look around, right? I look around and there's some, there's some cool stuff he's got there. I bought like this, it, it used to be a clock, but it, you know, they used to have these wall clocks, not a grandfather clock, but a clock you'd put on the wall that actually opens. Cuckoo clocks. Yeah. That kind of thing is probably two feet tall. But the clock was missing, so now it's just a wooden box with glass on the front that opens, and it's it was kind of neat. So I said, I like this, and he goes, clock's missing. I said, yeah, but it's kind of like a box now that you just hang on the wall with a little weird little shelf. And he's like, yeah, you know, five bucks. Not done, you know. But So I said, you got any records? And he goes, oh, we have to go across the street for the records. You know? And there's like a, I don't know, like an old warehouse across the street, and he, like, had it padlocked and he pulls out the key and opens his padlock. And the entire time I'm looking at this guy's fingernails because they're, they're painted purple and not like chipped up. They're nicely painted. Like, (laughs) like a granddaughter and him spent some time together. Bingo. There you go. That had not occurred to me the whole time. I'm looking at his fingers thinking, why, why are they painted purple? I don't, I don't get that, but it's fascinating to me. He opens this door of this warehouse and I go in and it's just pretty much empty, but there's a few tables in there that are stacked with magazines and books, and there's one table that has a bunch of records on it. So I go through them, and it's one of my best record days in my history of my wow. junking. All 78s, no no 33s. They were all 78s, but I left there with a stack of chess, Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and all these wonderful chess records, right? Do you— do you earn like a respect from the the junkers like for the stuff that you're buying and looking for or is uh, there clearly just like, you have an eye sir yeah <laughs> i don't know i don't i don't to be to be honest with you i don't really have friends that are junkers i have friends that are comedians and they ask me things like why no, no, no. do you do that no i mean no, the guy that the you're guy. buying from yeah exactly oh the guy that i was buying he said i you know i i had a stack i don't know i probably bought 50 78s from him, that's a guess, you know, God, something like that. like a gold mine that just walked down it the was street for gold, this guy. It was a gold mine of, of records, old blues and old R&B Right, and records. a gold mine for the guy who's had that sitting there gathering dust for... Yeah, uh, exactly. And I'm like, what do you want for these? And he starts flipping through them. He, and, and to him, and I like this part of it, too. To him, he's like, he, he pulls the first one off, and he goes, oh, I remember this. And 
So these aren't like, well, this is worth $50. To him, these are memories. And he's talking about the songs, you know. Rocket 88 was an early. Some people argue that Rocket 88 was the first rock and roll song. It was Ike Turner uh, did Rocket 88. And he came to that one. And he starts telling me about this dance that he went to. And that was, and they played that song. And, uh, and I just sat there. Well, I stood there and listened to this man running through his memories of these songs. And there was a part of my mind that thought, well, these are unaffordable. Right, right. <laughs> you know, he, these are some of my best memories. 50 cents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly, that's exactly what he did. Tom, he's going through probably 30 minutes of little stories about, have you ever heard this song? This song is the greatest song that Helen Wolf did. When he gets in and blah, 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 and this and that, he's telling me, and I'm listening and loving it, just loving it. This right? would be a great, to me, a great like show to watch, like you talking to people like this and then just letting them let them spew their passion, and right. you're just like, ah, hey, that's cool. I just stand there in yeah. awe. And you ask the right questions, and then they just go off. And that's exactly you know? yeah, I love it. You know, you know. So he tells me all the stories about the records, and I'm just just like, oh, that's great. You know. And then I said, well, I hate to ask, but what do you want for the stack of records? Ten bucks. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. So I I bought. This has happened, a, a, you know, a few times that I remember where I fall in love with someone that I, where I buy maybe a couple of things that I wouldn't have bought at another store because yeah, but I want to spend more money because right. I like this person, so I loaded up a car that on that trip in Mississippi that one guy, so I went back I bought that stack of records he says ten bucks you know I go back into the warehouse and I'm looking through the books now you know, and I come out with some books I want to buy. And he's sitting in that chair, and his granddaughter's painting his nails. Yeah. I nailed that. You nailed you nailed the nails. His granddaughter's painting his nails. And he's sitting there, you know, holding his hand out, and she's going through and all this stuff. And it's just such a good little memory. I just like Do you remember his name? No, I don't know if he ever told me his name, to be honest. But, I, you know, and I have I've went back by there since then a couple times, and he's not in his yard. I knocked on his door one time. No one came. But, you know, when I go through there, I remember how to get there. I know that little gas station, and I take a left down this road, and I take a right on Chestnut. He's on Chestnut Street. Right. You know, I don't even know the name of the town in Mississippi. But I, not, I know when I see that exit, you know, the, oh, yeah, here we go. Right. You know, so I haven't seen him since then. But I'm hoping to run into him again. And so these are from when you went back the next day, or no, when you... these things that I'm about to talk about are not from him. At that when we were talking about, <laughs> yeah, was that? <laughs> Sorry. Well, is this person interesting at all? Well, then? I'm like this is like the, his dance when Rocket '88 came on. You said something, and I immediately thought about Purple Fingernails. Right. And I just you know I had to tell that story. You know. This was a shop in Mississippi. This was he. This was south of there. It was not the same trip. <clears throat> I don't remember which town it was in either, but I remember the the way the parking lot looked. There was a railroad track, and you had to pull your car over the par- over the railroad track, right? And then it was a gravel parking lot. There, and then the shop it looked like the old train depot. Okay, and right. I'm assuming it was. You know, but there was like steps that led you up on the platform. Right. Got it. Right. Yep. And, and like one story, what you know, like a, almost like a ranch sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. 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 With a big door. Right. You know. Yeah. Big sliding wooden kind of door uh, that shoo, when you open it, you know. I'm interested in how you find these places, or if you just that 
like you're just driving and see them and pull over, or if you just sort of have a you talk, you get into town, and you're like, where's the place? Or you, I ask people you that know. too. I'll say, especially when I go to radio, not as much anymore, but back in the day, I, whenever I had to do radio for for a show or something, I would do my little interview, and then I would say, hey, um, you got any old vinyl in the basement that you're trying to get rid of? And every once in a while, someone would go, I think there's a couple of crates down there, you know. And they just go, yeah, just take them because they're just totally it's, useless it's now. It's garbage to them. It's right. garbage to radio stations. But, you know, radio stations, they would say, well, there's a shop down here. If you go to Adams Street and, you know. so I, Usually if you find old albums, you find old other stuff. Yeah, usually. Okay. You know. But most of the time, I just drive. I just, you know, I get off the interstate or, you know, and I just kind of meandering, wandering around. And sometimes I see a shop. Sometimes I don't. And I just get back on the interstate and go, you know. Your GPS must just holler at you constantly. Like, <laughs> I said, get back on the highway. I, 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 I muted. Said, I mute. Okay. My GPS is muted. All right. Yeah. Tired of its nagging. <laughs> right. So this was this. What The first item we're going to talk about today is... Uh, was a I, it was that train depot, and I, I parked, and I walked up those steps, and I, I went into this place, and it is, you know, it's one of those places with no air conditioning and no heat kind of thing. So if you're there on the wrong day, you're in, you're either sweating or freezing, you know. And that one was hot. I mean, it was a hot day, you know. And so I'm I'm digging through stuff, and it's nothing is organized in this place. It's just crap everywhere, right? Right. So. I Rotting, find, moldering. Yeah. yeah. And some of it you're looking at and you're like, oh, I wish you would have taken care of that. But now it's been through heat, cold, heat, cold. Now it's completely warped. The wood's no good anymore. You know, it's, you know, that, but there's a lot of stuff in this, in this place. No prices on anything. Is this a place you've been back to since or that you yeah, were just I've like, been, they don't take care of stuff. I'm not going back. No, I've been back a couple of times, but okay. this was the one thing I'm going to talk about at, at the beginning here was the find in that place. All right. I'm right. digging you go back box. if they're not taking care of stuff, Tom, because that's you go. Oh, you also don't know what any of this is worth. OK, yes. <laughs> yeah. if you did, you might have take, taken right. care of it. <laughs> okay. So there's an old chest, right? And, uh, you know, uh, what, what have we learned a trunk. on the show? What? Go through drawers and chests. Go, that's exactly what. Yeah, there's an old uh, steamer trunk. That's what they called it. Right. Steamer trunk. OK, open the lid because you open the doors and you see what's inside things when it says steamer trunk. 50 bucks, you go, I don't want it, open the lid. There might be a bowling ball with an eight ball in the middle of it in there. You don't know, (laughs) you know. So uh, this is what I found in there. Now, it's a piece of paper. It's very – it's copy paper is what it is, you know. And this is obviously – you know, they typed this. It's I have it on a piece of cardboard with little edges trying to hold it together because this is fragile paper, and some of it's hard to read, but – it says Atlantic Coastline Railroad Company. Telegraphic report of accident. What are you giving me your glasses? Tom's giving me his glasses. And that was a pretty decent catch. Because they flipped in the air. I thought it was a sweet I might stretch them out. My head's wider than yours. My brain is bigger, so obviously. They cost a dollar. They cost a dollar? Wow. I need glasses bad. The difference between you just gave me these glasses. I can see this now. God, I'm old. Uh, now, this was, uh, it's, I can't, maybe one of you guys can make out the name of this town. <laughs> maybe you just can't read. No, this, uh, it's, they had, this is copy paper, all right? So this is like, they have, they, they're, filling, they're filling out an accident report. 
okay. and they're typing it. So we're like, this is copy number three. Some of these, some of the is Waycross. Is that Waycross, Georgia? I see I Georgia. Okay, this is Waycross, Georgia. Atlantic Coastline Railroad Company accident report happened in the accident happened in Waycross, Georgia, May 25, 1935. Uh, and then there's a two, it's just two line, and there's a whole bunch of letters that I don't know what that is. And then at the end, it's Waycross, Georgia. Okay, train number, it's the 1707 East, engine number 1707, name of conductor, W.A. McKnight, name of engineer, P.H. Milton, uh, kind of train, it's a freight train, place of accident, DuPont, Georgia, date, uh, May, I think it's May 25th, 1935, hour 10.35 a.m. Uh, kind of accident. Steve Washington, uh, colored, uh, colored hobo is what it says. Steve Washington, colored hobo, age approximately 40 years, resident of Stockton, Georgia, in some unexplained way, fell under train, uh, resulting in instant death, head severed from body. Wow, that took a turn way worse than I was expecting. <laughs> yeah. I was expecting yeah. like a lovable old scamp with a knapsack tie, uh, tied to a stick. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, this is not that. Is main line obstructed and w- to what extent? No. So they're concerned about the condition of the train. Right. Not Steve Washington. Just, oh, they, they know yeah. his name. Can trains pass obstruction by running through pass or sidetrack? Yes. Cause of accident. Hobo fell under train. Is cut or embankment? Yeah. Is cut is cut on embankment or on level ground curve or straight track? Straight and level is the answer. Speed of train at time of accident. Approximately six or eight miles per hour. Who injured and to what extent? Steve Washington. Colored. Age 40, instantly killed, head severed from body. Is engine disabled? No. Is engine or tender off track and in what position? No. How many loaded cars off track? None. Then there's a whole list of questions here that they answered none the whole way down. Right, because it's it's just one hobo neck. I mean, it's just it a did, hobo. It didn't dent anything. Right. They just yeah. hosed it off. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when I read this, that's the way it reads to me. It's like, was there any damage to the property? <laughs> No, good. You know, it's it's just sad. Now, is this a police report or a train company report? This is the the train company report. Okay, well that makes sense. They're worried about this. Is from their business side. What their business side? Here's what happened. Right, and quite honestly, they were more annoyed at the paperwork than any. You know, right. I have to type. Dead hobo, I gotta go. I gotta. uh, I'm gonna be stuck here for an hour. Right, filling out this goddamn report. Exactly, and they're. (laughs) I'm trying to fiddle with these glasses. I'm not used to glasses. I'm gonna have to get used to it. I think you are. Uh, all right. Now, with this was another little piece of paper that is a local telegram. Um, Waycross, Georgia, May 26, 1935. At 1035 a.m. date, Steve Washington, colored, aged approximately 40, resident of Why do they keep Stockton. saying colored? I, yeah. Well, that's, that's how you identify him in the morgue. You can't do it by his face. Oh, that's true. The headless. Boom, boy. baby. Yeah. Yeah, that was some dark humor <laughs> right there. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> I didn't like that second joke. 40, I'm kidding, 40, uh, uh, age approximately 40, resident of Stockton, Georgia, hoboing on extra, extra 17 knot, uh, seven East conductor. Ex, I don't, that must be train. Yeah, I'm going to guess that he, that was the line, right? That so was the was, line. Extra was on the, 17 knot. 
Yeah, that you know, so he's on that line, and here's the en- here's the engine number coming through. Right. Uh, East conductor McKnight, engineer Milton, is getting off car Dupont while train moving, lost his footing, fell under train, and instantly killed, head severed from body. Okay, so he was he was he was a hobo that was train hopping, and he, yes. was, he was trying to step off the train, slipped, fell down. Right under, right on the line, and it chopped his head off. Yeah, that's what we got here. Okay, you know. right, because it's all been going six or seven miles an hour. This was, you know, he didn't have a lot of time. Right. Yeah. So, here's a, a, an interesting story that ends with, with with nothing, but just so we're keeping in line with junk. When I found this, it was a while ago. I found this fifteen years ago, something like that. Uh, I had, I you know, this. I lived in Georgia. Right. I found this in Mississippi. I lived in Georgia. So I went down to this area just to see because I, I thought <laughs> really? I want to see if I can find any of this stuff, you know, and I actually talked to people and asked around. Did anybody know this Steve Washington? And, you know, he was a hobo. And blah. I, in 1935. Yeah, well, I just I, I didn't like ask people at the diner. I went into <laughs> the library. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't randomly asking people at the Sitco. Right. I'm still know. saying, like, look, it's tough to imagine a town where they're like. Oh, yes. The hobo killing of 1935. Right. Uh, yeah, beheading. That was the... on 1707 naught. Right. I remember that like the day it happened. <laughs> I went into the library, you know, and I was talking to the lady. Is it possible to find if anybody, you know, just more information? And she was very blunt with me. She said, it's a hobo. Yeah. You're probably not going to find anything on this. Well, guy. also, it's sort of by definition, probably not from around there. Yeah. And that's another lo- question. You but they do say, hobo. yeah. We we don't. But even if he was like she, she was basically saying, you don't have, you know, the, you have his name. Like, I'm surprised they have, have his, his name. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's did they go through his wallet? You know, like, oh, well, here's his license. I mean, yeah. Right. So hoboing. Don't know why. Probably Steinbeck. I don't know why, but is always fascinated me. Well, you're just always. And I'm I mean, not alone. I know it's romanticized. No, no, no. I was just going to say that that's. You're hobo adjacent. I mean, you've got your own car. You're not relying on the train lines. But, right. You know. I'm what they would call a rubber tramp. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, the, the hobos would go, well, he does get a job at wherever he goes. But, you know, I also, you know, pick up somebody's backyard. He's doing two, two shows, you know. Yeah. I mean, I it, it didn't occur to me for years and years. But when I was uh, 16 years old, um I I was I just fascinated with hobos, just fascinated with the whole thing. When I was younger than that, I was probably 11 or 12. My mom used to take me to a dentist and right next to the dentist office was a used bookstore. Okay? And the deal was, I went to the dentist, I was good, I didn't complain. Blah. We went to the used bookstore, I got to buy a book. Okay? I bought a book. It's probably 11, 10, 11, 12, it was around that area. I bought a book and I still own the book. Um, the cover of it, it, it's 1905, if I remember correctly, was the copyright on the book, 1905. Um, and the cover of the book has a picture of a, a drawing of a guy leaping off a train, okay? Obviously a hobo. Excuse me. And right behind him is a cop trying to hit him with a billy club, you know? Does he have like a an old-timey, like, large helmet on his head, the cop? I don't know about large. You know, the one I'm talking about, like the top, 
The Tall Helmet is a book. Yes, yes. Yeah. Do you know this book? No, I just know old timey cops in with he's got the like, cartoon art with the Billy Club. And, right. That, yeah. Yes, that's what he looks like. He's got the little helmet that kind of goes up a little yeah. bit, and, and and you've also got is, I'm going to guess now, hobo maybe a, a squashed felt hat and the uh, the shaded in pencil five o'clock <laughs> shadow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is caricature hobo cop coming to beat him kind of stuff. Hobo right. was my go to Halloween costume as a kid. Was it? Yeah. Sure. That 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 was always a simple one, right? Yeah. That, that that's what that's when you fucked up and didn't plan for Halloween. You're like, oh, hang on, crappy old clothes, uh, red bandana on a stick. I'm a hobo. Yeah. I'm a hobo. That's Give me candy. Yeah. Was like yeah. there was five of us, and my, we just scrambled to, you know, come up with it was either that or ghost. You know what I mean? We weren't right, out there buying right, costumes. Right. Yeah. So I still have that book. That book is not that great, but it it's, it's just a bunch of stories, just hobo kind of you know. But it's for a young boys. I didn't know at the time, but it's. Right, there's not, a whole series of them. There's not, there, there's nobody sticking each other with knives. It's not. No, it's, it's not it's like the that. friendly hobo. It's the friendly kind of. Yeah, I still have the book, but at the time, so I was interested in this for whatever reason early. And when I was 16 years old, uh, I, I, I came up with this plan. I drove my my parents' car to a spot in Knoxville, Tennessee, where near the railroad track, right? Because I knew trains slow down when they're in town, right? Right. And then my idea was I'm gonna I'm gonna hop a train, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a hobo. I'm gonna hop a train. Is that what makes it? That's the difference between a hobo and a homeless person. Is a hobo will hop a train? Is that the only difference? What's or is it? Yeah, just- ho- hobo's got purpose. Ho- hobo's got a destination where the journey is the destination. Really, I, I'm making that up. No, I'm sure. just I don't really understand. Is is it like just an old term for homeless person or? Is- no, no, I mean, not really. It depends on who you ask. If you if you you know if let's you assume ask- I'm asking you. <laughs> I'm I'm going to bring this up because we're about to talk about this guy and he he has a um he has a definition. Uh Hold on. Matt, would you gonna... say there what would you would you yeah, say? Yeah, I mean I would I would say there are trains involved, right? Okay. There's you know, at least in the romanticized hobo. Now. So they sort of travel around sort of train yeah. yard to train well, yard. Well, also then... because there are vagrancy laws at the time meaning that like you got to move on. Like you know, they probably, in a weird way, you know, your old hobo, if you brought him back, you brought him forward in time, he'd be like, wait, you can just sleep in under the bridge every night? Yeah, when I was homeless, <laughs> when kid, I was homeless, we had to city to city and start all over again. I had to keep moving. You know how hard it is to find the right corner right when you get to town? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I think Utah Phillips, who we're going to talk about in this episode, and I can't find it online right now, so I hope I don't get this wrong, but he has definitions. I'm sure he made them up, but like his is like a... a Hobo dreams and wanders. That's his definition. Dreams and wanders. You know, a tramp works and wanders. Uh, and a drunk drinks and wanders. You know, so that's kind of his thing. It, so hobo has this philosophical feel to it. Like you are choosing. You, you're, in other words, you're, you're not, uh, you know, you're not out there because you're a drunk and no one will hire you. You're, you're choosing to jump the, the rails, to jump on a train and travel and think, and that's the life you want, you, you know, and you pick up work here and there, you know, you be, uh, you know, that there's a, there's a subtle difference between the group. I wish I could remember exactly what he said, Utah, cause I, I like that, but so the hobos are more, it's more, there's an art, there's an artistic sort of feel kinda, to it. Yeah. There's like, a, I don't, I'm not going to be a part of this capitalist machinery. I'm going to wander 
you know, and so I'll pick apples over elbows? here for some money and I'll do that. That's another question is there, there was a great, uh, the, the hobos started after the great depression. It really started to bloom because, you know, hard to find work. So people would get on the trains and you could actually go, you could hobo from Denver where you can't find a job to uh, Washington state where you can find a job picking fruit or whatever it is, California picking fruit. You could go to Washington state and, and be, you know, working the lumber mills, you know, for two months till you get enough money and then you hop a train and then you go to Arizona and you're just wandering across the country, making a living when you need to, when you need to feed yourself or whatever. Yeah. That's, and that is a romanticized vision, but it definitely, after the great depression, the the number of hobos skyrocketed, you know, and then they, but you get the idea that Jack Kerouac read all those books and went, yes, I too will opt out of society. Yeah. 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 And there, there's some sort of loose lineage to I read this and then, you know, and then the the, you know, Neil Cassidy influenced a bunch of people. And then the Grateful Dead read on the road. And you sure right. it's just not romanticizing homeless people so that you don't have to do anything about it. And then it depends. Let me ask you this. Let's say that there's a guy. Um, let's say there's a guy who just chooses. I don't want to work at this insurance company anymore. I'm just I don't want to do this with my life, you know. So, all right, I'm going to quit at the insurance company. What does that mean? Well, I can't afford my rent anymore. So well, that's you're gone. homeless. So now you're homeless, you know. So is there a difference? I'm, I'm not saying there is, but I'm asking, is there a difference between someone who chooses to wander around the country, picking up work here and there, you know, or a person who has had no choice? I suspect that the number of people who quit the insurance company – were vanishingly small. Yes. There are a lot of people oh, yeah. who dreamed of that. But I think yeah. I think uh, you know, hobo philosophy is sort of I think you kind of back into it meaning you know, there isn't there there are not a lot of middle class people that went, "You know what? I'm going to ride the rails." Right. There are some people that are like, "I've bounced from job to job. I'm kind of a fuck up. I'm going to ride the rails." That's, right. you know, all right. Well, yeah. at this point, let me introduce. I need to get this out guy. of this town. I, I yeah, just yeah, did I'm, a terrible I'm, thing. I've burned through all the relationships I could possibly have in this town. Let's hop a train. I think right. it's romanticized. I mean, maybe. Well, I'm, let me let me introduce this guy and see if it changes our point of view on this at all. If you change my point of view again, <laughs> you're I out. Quit. I you quit. quit. I quit. I'm out. <laughs> if you if yeah if you feel differently after a conversation, you're going to quit. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's. I'm going to I I almost said something, but I stopped myself. But I'm going to say it anyway, that's very Republican. Of I'm going to hobo myself to Cincinnati. And <laughs> now, you have uh, well, let's get to this, too. But you let's, also have some uh, combining what you said about how he's sort of we're modern day hobos traveling around the country, living in our cars, telling right. jokes for many All, years. Also, people who have backed into it and then go, I'm going to do I'm going to go on the road. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's another good question. And that's kind of where I, I think this might. Go, but let's throw this guy in the mix. Okay, because then you also have homeless people that you've met along the way as a comic that, like, like, like the guy in Dayton that you got to do comedy for, so you could get a free beer. The guy, there's another dude you gave some money to that came back later in the week and gave you your money back. Yeah, Shreveport. Yeah, and there's, I was with you when you gave a a a woman who needed money for she couldn't afford her her necessary medicine. And Tom can be all gruff and and I'm. I'm this and that, but Tom's heart spills over 
and out his chest, you know. He's but, the crusty old guy with the heart of brass. <laughs> brass, not exactly. He gold. can't afford gold. Gold-plated. Yeah, right. <laughs> Tom and I, are, uh, we were working in Chicago, and we're walking into a coffee shop, and this woman, you know, an older woman, she says, Can you, is it possible you could help me out? I it can't. wasn't just that. Like, I mean, she you wanna... was all over. Like, first of all, I was probably complaining that we weren't getting paid and had to buy hotel rooms for Of course you were. You were then... awake. And then we're walking into this Starbucks, and this lady's like pulling like a. She have an oxygen tank yes, with her. Yes, she had an oxygen she's tank. Like just older white lady, just like yeah, I need my medicine. She's like this, the longest sob story, like just <laughs> if you here's twenty, but here if you'll stop talking, can I? If I give you money, will you stop talking? That's now? not what that no. And so you, I gave no. her. I so she no no she's right. She tells her story. It sounds very sad. And then I'm like, all right, here's and I gave her whatever twenty bucks. I'm you like, gave her twenty dollars, and she, her whole face was like. Oh my, thank you, Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, now I want my money back. I'm not Jesus. <laughs> Tom actually said, to Jesus. I'm not Jesus. <laughs> Get away. Don't say God bless you. They go, God bless you. No, now I want my money back. Yeah. See, and what it says to me is that, because she had the oxygen tank, right? So if someone brings a prop, you're in. Yes, well. Yeah. Yes. And that normally, you know, most of us would look down on that. But you're like, you know. <laughs> I committed. Yeah, exactly. You committed with the option. I want to say this to the, if anybody's listening to this podcast, right? This is what comics do. We try to poke and denigrate. Tom gave a woman $20. He could have given her five or one. I want it stated out loud. He didn't have to give her 20 He opened his wallet. There were multiple options. He gave the woman $20. Well, okay. That is a question, though. Did, did you have options or did you look and went, oh, fuck, I got three 20s? I know why I gave her $20. Because $20 would have covered the cost of the medicine? No, because uh, the Tom's sister, is it your sister? Who was it? that My sister for Christmas told, okay, well, it's not the, the re, but that's the, she, my sister for Christmas had a story of a guy that, um, that she see at some speech or not a TED talk, but you know, she's, she's a successful CEO or whatever, but she was telling the story of a guy who, was just totally down on his luck. It was homeless, blah, blah, blah. And somebody gave him $20, and it occurred to him when that guy gave him the $20 that he was not going to be where he is right now begging anymore. And he turned literally turned his life around with that $20. From there, ended up becoming, like, very successful, you know, has his own businesses, blah, blah, blah. So she was like, so just re- think of that when you give somebody money that – the, you can make a difference in somebody's life and blah, blah, blah. So she, that was sort of her Christmas gift. And she gave me me like a hundred bucks and my son a hundred bucks, my, you know, to sort of do with that through the year. So you were really hoping that if you gave this woman $20, she'd go be successful and not fucking annoy you anymore. Well, well that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you turn your life around with this. <laughs> right. Because this, this is supposed to do it. Right. And I'm like, God, it's, I'm like, it's November and I've still got this hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked you didn't give her a hundred. I was walking to a club in Shreveport, Louisiana. It was, it's kind of under a bridge. The club's kind of under a bridge. They tried to make this area really hip and trendy and open up some, but it didn't work because it's under a bridge in Louisiana. It's shady. I mean, that's just the way under bridges are. Right. You can't trendy them up. So anyway, are you talking about the funny bone there? Yeah. Yeah. At first, that thing was great. Oh, it was great when they tried to. They had all that stuff. They had stars out on the on the 
damn, you know, you're walking there and you're walking over stars with famous people's names on it. And yeah, then, then a year and a half later, you know, there's like needles everywhere. <laughs> they were so, they were so disappointed. They had the, yes, they had the casinos and they tried to make the under the bridge, like, like bar area or whatever. And then right. it just turned into like, they were literally like, why are like, it was free or whatever. And then, so there yeah. was this feeling from all these white Louisianans, like, why are all the black people here? There, nobody can do business now. They were, it was yeah. that it was sort crazy. of racism. It was, like, it no, was now, racist they won't, now white people won't come. Right. Yeah. They're, they're trying to do Disney main street under the bridge. And then right. the, under the bridge took reasserted itself in the ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I'm walking to the show on a Wednesday night, first show of the week, and a homeless guy comes up to me and he gives me a story, which I it does not bother me. I like if someone comes up to me and says, hey, my car broke down and I'm trying to get to here. That Okay, fine. It's an okay that, story. That's not, not you know, it's okay. You know, whatever. But when you layer it and you've got a story about Chili involved and there was three Christmases ago and a nephew and then there was a boat and a canoe – I'm I'm just the human watching the human mind come up with bullshit is gorgeous to me. Oh yes, just gorgeous. See, I, that's it's a difference between us because I they start with the story and I'm like just skip ahead. What, what do you need? <laughs> <laughs> like I don't need to hear your bullshit. Or this ends right. with you asking me for money, right? No, no, no. And then five minutes later they're asking for money. It's like now no, no. <laughs> I was me. with you on the skip ahead part and that's, this whole no. crazy story. I don't care about no. that. Get away from me, lady. Here's the 20 bucks. I want to hear about your I great aunt's it. dog. Yeah. And, you know, what's I your love... feel? What's your feeling on props? <laughs> <laughs> if you add props into the mix. All right. So good. He tells you the story. Sorry. So the guy gives me his spiel. Right. And I listen to it. It's pretty good. He's he's a pretty good bullshitter. You know, he's he's a yeah, I like this. I like this guy's little dance here. Well, he's you know? in Louisiana. He's got to compete. I mean, yeah, right. right. Yeah. So I opened my wallet. I had twelve dollars. I had a you know, a couple of fives, a couple of ones, whatever. I had twelve dollars, right? That's a, that's how twelve works. Yeah, yeah okay. thank you. And uh <laughs> I have twelve dollar bill. I, I pulled the money out <laughs> and I said to him, I got twelve dollars. I said, You take six and I'll take six. We'll meet up somewhere later in life, we'll find out who did better. Just I just thought that's an interesting whatever. You know, right, he, he thought you'd make a wager with the universe. Yeah, yeah he yeah. just gave me this incredible story that you know was it had a coconut in it, and that right. was you know. And now I'm going to say this to him, and I gave him six bucks, and then I turned around and walked on. Okay, so that was Wednesday. Saturday, one of the waitresses comes into the club and goes, "There's a guy out here that he seems homeless, but he says he knows you." And I'm like, you're gonna have to whittle that down. Yeah, I, I mean, that <laughs> could be any of my comic buddies. You know, a feature. Uh, yeah. <laughs> any of my heroes from youth. Remember, I bought the book. So I go out there, and it's this homeless guy, and he he get, he gives me the six dollars back. He goes, I didn't do worth a shit with it, and he <laughs> walks away. Like he gave himself one week to have, work and, it out, and then gave it back to me. And I thought, what a what a great joke. Whatever reason yes. he did that. It's incredible. Whatever you said to him sort of was like, obviously, he he at the time probably had this sort of, ah, I'm going to go do something. And then he realized this. Either that or he, like by Tuesday, he went, I know it'd be funny. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go back. Like, yeah. Yeah. He just waited. You know, he's like, you know, I mean, because what else? You know, it's not like he had, you know, errands. And right. he knew he just, I was a comedian. I mean, I'm right. standing there. My picture is on the poster on the window. Right. And he and I had told him, I said, I'm working here at the comedy club. That's me. 
You know, he goes, oh, look at you, look at you. you and then know? you had $12. And I had $12. <laughs> in well, it was before. It was before the week of work. After, I had almost 300 <laughs> yeah. All right, so let me tell you about this guy. I'm going to throw this guy in the mix um, and see where this goes. I was in a junk shop a long time ago. I think I might have been a teenager, you know. And I was digging through stuff, and I found an album Utah Phillips was the name of the guy, the name of the guy's album, right? The, the name of his actual album was Nobody Knows Me. That was the name of it. It was on Prestige, which was okay. a jazz label, but they did some folk stuff, right? Prestige folk, they had a folk division. This covered, I just loved it. It was blue. I still have the record that I bought when I was, it's probably 18 when I bought it. Uh, it's a real pretty album cover to me. It's it's covered in blue, but Utah is standing there as a younger-ish man, okay? This came out in the 50s, and he's just, you know, khaki pants, uh, you know, playing acoustic guitar. Nobody Knows Me is the title. The cover struck me. I like the cover. The title's interesting. You know, I mean, one of Jackie Mason's album titles was I'm the Greatest Comedian in the World. This guy's title is nobody knows me right it was a dollar it was in the dollar bin of the junk shop you know that i was in i buy it i take it home i listen to it i liked it it's folk music you know blah 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 i find another album by him a couple years later and it is not the prestige one the prestige one is songs it's folk songs if you're into folk music it's not bad blah 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 the next one i found was this Totally different. This man is now, he's not the young kid anymore, right? Of course, when I bought this, it was the album was released in the 50s, right? I found, I think it was even on a cassette of him now as an older man, still doing folk music. What was the name of this one? Here's Why? Uh, it, it was. It, <laughs> <laughs> That was, you don't even know, you don't even know how accurate that punchline was. You nailed his entire career and this stupid society and the fact that this guy should be uber famous and he's not. He started off singing folk songs, right? That were whatever, you know, some folk musicians become famous. Some of them, you know. In defiance of God's will. Yes. Yes. By some means, two. Yeah. Well, Dylan started. He was f- mega famous That's as a it. folk musician. That was right? the one. And no. I'm just assuming there's another. No. <laughs> no. Simon and Garfunkel, right there. Boom. I mean, there's a bunch of folk. Right, okay. This and guy I'm still waiting for you know Simon and Garfunkel is not what you want to leave. Folk music. You know, those musicians become famous like Simon and Garfunkel. Well, America made a mistake there, but all right, we'll as move on. As soon as they stop singing folk, they take off. This guy, Utah Phillips, started out singing, yeah, you know, folk songs that were, were, were all right, you know. And he went even more obscure, whereas Simon and Garfunkel went more pop, right? This guy went even more. The, the cassette I found uh, was uh, an old man singing an occasional folk song, but telling stories about the hobos, about his life, about being in the Korean War about uh, Emma Goldman, about the IWW and the labor movement. I learned a lot from Utah Phillips. So he was the, like sort of the inventor, inventor of TED Talks, basically. He would do he, he, that's not a bad, TED Talks. Yeah, he would do a concert. Like you would go to see this guy. I never saw him, but, uh, you know, he's dead now. But um, you would go see this guy. I've seen there are some YouTube clips of full concerts of his, you know. 
And he would start by singing a little folk song. And you're, you know, okay, yeah, if you're into folk music, that's okay. And then he would tell you a story. Some of his stories, they, they make you cry. I mean, I've, you just weep when you hear some of his stories. Other stories are these really long, long jokes that you think he's telling you a real story. And then he gets to the worst punchline you've ever heard. <laughs> And he just giggles to himself because I just took you down this trip and, and you know what I mean? And other stories that he tells are about history and, you know, about Sacco and Vanzetti and all these people I'd never heard of. I didn't know anything about Emma Goldman. I never heard that name before. I didn't know about Mother Jones. What's the know. name of the that album? I think it's Fellow Workers, which okay. is a that's an IWW thing. People say Fellow Workers and then they give a speech, you know. Um, this guy fascinates me. I've, I've had conversations with him, with you in the car, we're driving around, we were driving to Canada when we went down to, mostly when we came back from fringe talk, just, I'm so, interested right. in this guy. So he's yeah. in like Pete Seeger era. He was, yes, I think okay. Pete's older than him, but this, so let me tell well, us. Well, Pete's older than him now because Utah stopped. Right. Well, Pete stopped too. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. What's the name of it again? Uh, I think. I think. The, I think the cassette that I found was called Fellow Workers. I think. Okay. Yeah. I can see the picture of it. It's got a union man's black with a red cover with a with a red outlining. Um, he had some excess. Uh, for those of you guys that are listening that want to check this guy out, an easy way into him is this: Ani DeFranco, which a lot of folk people know, and a lot of you know, Ani. Uh, she loved Utah Phillips. So she took some of these recordings, okay, of him telling these stories and what have you, and she she took them and made, like, uh, she put her own intro and music to it where it kind of seamlessly moves from his story to Ani's more, more mainstream now type of music. Uh, and then it will merge. And she did a great job. And she put out a CD called The Past Didn't Go Anywhere. And if you're interested in Utah Phillips, there's a lot of beautiful stories on there with Ani's music that kind of, she's kind of emceeing the thing in a way. I kind of like the way you say, if, you, if you're really interested in, a, in Utah Phillips, uh, go listen to Ani DeFranco. Well, but if, like, <laughs> yes. if you're, if you're going to tell someone, to, you're a movie buff, right? Right. So if, if there's a, a, a director or somebody that you know is, a, is amazing, but has some obscure stuff that takes a little taste, but you know one movie was a little more mainstream than the rest. You might tell someone to start with that one. Right. That's why I always tell people to go see David Lynch's Dune. Start with that, and then you can. And then if you like that, you can get into the weird. Yeah, no, sorry. They see that as a joke. I know. I know it was a joke, and I tried to top it by saying, (laughs) then you can get into the weird. Okay, the movie is terrible then? Dune? Yes. Oh, it's a piece of shit. I think I've tried to watch it a couple times and never really got it. The the book's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's part of the why that everyone was so upset with the movie. Must yeah, I guess that's what it's supposed to be to show like almost like almost like um, uh, the the Hunger Games sort of book where it's like you 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 should you should at some point realize that we are the capital or we are the people hoarding the water and bathing in it while other people are starving and yeah, not having sure. it you know you you don't you're not on that yeah okay okay so. Uh... Here's Utah's basic story that I we're going to throw this into the mix now and see if this changes our our uh, feelings towards hoboing or whatever. Uh, Utah was in the Korean War, and what, these are some of his words. I'm I'm trying to remember now what he saw there disgusted him. He just he couldn't he couldn't uh, it, it didn't make sense to him, and he could not be a part of it anymore. Okay, 
So, and that's a break, you know, like we, when you have someone that, that goes, that chooses, I'm going to go to war. And then they see something that changes their entire philosophy. So he escaped, he went AWOL, right? And he eventually makes it back to the United States. And he, in, in, in his words, he just can't live in the society anymore. He just can't get up and clock in after what he'd seen in Korea. Cause he knows that whatever a lot, if he's He's if he's contributing or taking part in the culture and society, then he's contributing to that war. Yeah, and to more war and to future yeah. wars. He can't do it. Okay, he just can't be a part of it. So he, you know, became an alcoholic and, and rode the train. <laughs> Could you do that without the alcohol? Could you just well, ride the train? you know, I mean, that's he. He became an alcoholic, and he, you know, and he would just ride the ride the trains and and make make some money where he could and play songs and he wrote songs and. And all this stuff. And he wasn't recording at this time. And then he met a guy at a, you know, at one of these places where you go and you, you sleep in a bed for a night, you know, and that kind of thing. He, there was a guy that ran that place in Colorado. I can't remember his name right now. It might pop in my head that changed his life and told him, you know, you, you go around and you're, you're drinking, you're wasting your life in, in, with alcohol. And, but you, you say you hate the country. You say you hate this country, but you meet these beautiful people and you write these beautiful songs about how gorgeous everything is. You, you, you don't you hate the government. Get it straight. You don't hate the country. You hate the government. Focus your anger. Focus it. You know, right. and this guy taught him kind of, you know, this alcohol's a waste of time. This shit's a waste of time. Focus your anger. Make a difference. So then he started doing this. He started doing these concerts where he's playing songs and he's entertaining the people. Does this sound familiar at all, Tom? Right. He's entertaining, but he's also got a point. And he's trying to get across something. He's trying to teach younger people. Who was in Emma Goldman? Who were these people that changed your lives? You know, think about your history. It, it's not, you know, the past didn't go anywhere. That's one of his things. It's not history. The past is with us right now, you right. know? So he became this... This guy who was on a mission to educate, to teach, to learn, and yes, to entertain, and yes, to write songs, and yeah, all that stuff. But there was a meaning to his to his message, you know. So, how long before you realized this guy's a hero to me? Uh, right away was, at eighteen? No, or? not at eight. No, certainly not at eighteen. I thought he was a, a weird dude, and I kind of liked him. And even when I bought that that cassette when I was in my early twenties, I listened to it and I thought, "Whoa, I didn't. I, that's a neat story. I didn't know who." mother jones was and so then i actually went out and bought a book on biography on mother jones and read about her all because i heard utah because i bought a cassette at some used in some shop you know and then i learned about a lot of people through utah and then in my 30s i realized this guy this guy's a hero this guy meant he changed the way i think he certainly taught me a shitload but he also changed who i am and he became a hero of mine, you know, um, and, and there are times when, you know, what I do, what I'm attempting to do. OK, you know, I'm trying to write comedy to make people think, make people use their minds, you know, challenge the stuff that's around you. Think about your opinions. You know, that's Utah. That can't Utah taught me that. I don't think I would have been doing this the way I'm doing it unless I would have bought that first album. Nobody knows me. But you, you also know. had a stack of Lenny Bruce and George Carlin things in here where and mm -hmm. where they those, those sort of guys do the same thing. So or have the same. Yeah. This is what you got to do. So it well, was it sort of a combination of those or did Utah bring you to those guys? 
No, I, I knew Carlin before Utah, and I knew Lenny before Utah. But they, uh, but Carlin lived in a nice house too. I think that had something to do with it. I think I connect. I love George Carlin, and I think he's more talented than Utah Phillips. And I think <laughs> go out on a limb there, Mister Hoff. Right. I think <laughs> you know, but Utah was a sixty-five-year-old man playing a bar, which is, if I'm lucky, what I'm going to be. He's, you know, I mean, he was playing little joints in Maine. And I have a book here that I found in a junk shop. It's called Starlight on the Rails and Other Songs by U. Utah Phillips. Uh, and it's got a little picture of him on the front. And this is just a book that, that he sold it after his shows that I'm assuming that. And it's got little stories in it, little drawings. And it's got his songs written where you can, you know, with what is that tablature? Is that what they call that? You know? Where you can learn sheet the music, sheet music yeah. kind of thing. You can learn the song and play it. But it, it's kind of a cheap thing, probably self-published. I don't know. And but Were um, you already a fan when you found that book? I found that book, and I went, oh, my gosh. I didn't even know there, you know, he, he had a book out. But it, to me, this little book feels like something he probably sold after the show. Make a little money, you know. Um, I want to hear, like, your excitement. Like, how... Well, wanna, you were already a fan of his when you saw I was I was already a fan of his. And, and when you saw that book, yeah, it was I exciting? It. Yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh, look at that. It's Utah. First of all, I mean, if I had found another record of his, I would have been like, cool, here's a Utah record I don't have. But I didn't even know he had a book out. Right. You know? So yeah. then I was like, oh, my gosh. Now, have you done a lot more research on Utah? Yeah. I mean, I've read a lot. And okay. you... Do you have the stories of self-sabotage? Because that's what I also feel is missing from this narrative. Uh, here's There's the a time that Utah told a club owner in Biloxi to go fuck himself. And you find out, oh, yeah, he was doing small gin joints at the age of 65 because he kind of burned all his bridges. Right. All right. Well, this <laughs> he one had is... to take the trains because right. he couldn't walk anywhere. The right. bridges were... And uh, actually, he was kind of a pain in the ass to be around because he'd, he'd sit down and go, hey, I liked your set. He goes, do you know about Emma Goldman? You're like, oh, <laughs> Well, this is not going to satisfy your need to for destruction, <laughs> but uh, but this is going to tell you a lot of. Did he finally find antidepressants? Because I think that's also a missing part. You know, PTSD. Uh, and you know, if this he had is just a, found the right guy. <laughs> You're destroyed. He has this whole image of this hero out there fighting the fight. Oh no, look, I, I mean, anti- I have a, I have yeah. a lot of sympathy for a guy yeah. who's got PTSD from the you know Korean War and is depressed and alcoholic, mm-hmm. but like. There's a way through this now that we have, which is, you know, counseling and antidepressants. And that probably would have eliminated the art. But OK, yeah. might have been happier. Um, this story is uh, it, it, there is no <laughs> famous Utah story, right? Because no, he's not that well known at all. But this is the story that, that you know, when you know this is the story, you know, that it's going to satisfy part of your need, need to tear down your, your need to tear down <laughs> and stomp on. <laughs> It's going to satisfy part of it, but and then part of it's also going to make you roll your eyes because it's going to add to this yeah, sure. the heroicness of this guy. So sometime in the seventies, Johnny Cash uh, got a hold of a Utah cassette and and heard some of his songs and liked them. Right, this is the seventies, you know. So um, Johnny contacted Utah and said, "Hey, I you know I've I heard some of your music. I'm a big fan. I like this. I'm." So I'm, I'd like to get together, and I would like to do a Johnny Cash Sings Utah Phillips album. And Utah said, I, I don't like your own Columbia. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think music should be sold by big corporations. It's people. 
music should be made up and people should sing it. And, you know, and, and so Johnny said, you, come on. I mean, do you realize the amount of money we're talking about? You could take that money and go do good with it. You could open up, you know, whatever you could donate to. You could go do. So Utah uh, said, right, let me think about it. And he actually went and talked to uh, someone that was one of Utah's heroes, right? Um, a lefty preacher guy who was a protester and all that. And he said, all right, I'm going to lay this question in front of you. Johnny Cash has contacted me, wants to be, be on his label. I don't like big corporate music. I don't want to be part of that big machine. But Johnny made a good point. He said, it's going to be a lot of money, and I could do a lot of good with that kind of money. And the preacher said, yeah, they always tell you the good you could do with evil money. So Utah called Johnny and said, nah, I'm not going to do it. So he said, just turned it down and said no. And even I know this, like if anybody records Utah Phillips songs and he gets royalties from them, they never come to Utah. They go to a women's battered shelter, battered women's shelter in San Francisco. Well, I'm assuming they're not coming to Utah now. Well, yeah, yeah. but – so yeah, which I mean, irrita- that- which he's telling me this story amidst we're doing fringe down in Orlando, and the people, the guy that's w- like show of the fringe and best of the fest or whatever they call it, and and making money is a guy basically doing a doing Utah Phillips. He's doing a Utah Phillips show. Yeah, that he's memorized his stories and his songs and. And not giving Utah Phillips any credit at all, and people are sitting in there like, "This is amazing." And Stewart, and goes they don't and know see, Utah, yeah, and they don't know Utah. And Stewart's like, "Wait, that's Utah Phillips. He just did the, his closer and his thing from this album, and and nobody knew that he was doing it, and he's profiting off of it, and oh, so annoying." Yeah. And he was, yeah. he was like, he, you could it tell also it really made, bothered. It, it really it was like made one of your sad. heroes. And not only that, it would have been cool to see your hero get his due, but he wasn't. He was exactly breaking all of this guy's ideals and... Yeah. All this guy at the French, all he had to do was do the show. It was amazing. I saw the show. It was a great show, right? It's Utah's work. Of course it's great. He he could have done the show and then taken a bow at the end. Everybody applauds and he says, what you just saw tonight is Utah Phillips. Google him. Learn about him. Enjoy. Thank you very much for coming. That's all he had to do. Or he could have called it Utah Phillips Mania. Yeah. Sure. He could have. You know, the. the, What are you doing for Fringe? I've got a Utah Phillips tribute act. Oh, (laughs) right. Great. Great. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what Utah did. He came back from Korea and he made a choice. I don't want to be part of this machinery that is contributing to war. So that, when you say to me, you, you know, they're just a bunch of alcoholics, they're just a bunch of drug addicts, blah, okay, I'm not going to argue with it, but there are some people, maybe not thousands, but there are some people who have chosen, I don't want to be part of it. What are my options? How can I survive? And especially back in the 50s, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you could hop a train and you could travel. You know, and you could stop off and work here and work there and throughout the seasons. A lot of them did that when the apples were coming in, then they would travel to Washington and they would pick apples until those were gone and make a little bit of money and then get back on the train. And they go down to Florida and pick oranges when they when those workers were needed, you know, but they never had a home and they just traveled, you know. So I think, yeah, I might be romanticizing some of it, but there's some fact involved in that. There is some fact. There's Peter. some. There is. There's some fact, but I would also say, 
and I don't. And this isn't to be cynical. This yes. is to also say, how I put it? These were, you know, especially in the 1930s, when you know, these were destitute people. Yes. Uh, post, you know, World War Two, post Korea, these are people who have. I mean, they have PTSD. They've been traumatized. And I don't necessarily think that we should romanticize trauma. No, I think I think and, and, and I think I think the choice comes after the trauma. Yes. But I think uh, I think Utah, he might have had PTSD. I don't know. But I think he also had well, he went a wallet and he had Korea. more than PTSD. He had he saw things that, you know, yeah, that well, he that, could that, no that, longer live with. Like that's more, usually how PTSD works. But what I'm saying is morally. You know, you you can't sure. you can't take a pill. I mean, unless it's just going to make you a zombie, you can't take a pill that's going to make you unsee something that changed your entire morality. No, but you could how put it. You could also work your way through because I mean, you know, the key part is also he was self medicating for a while. Yes, yeah, definitely, definitely self medicating. Yeah. Yeah. but he did work his way through it. He just didn't work his way through it and back around to I'm going to sell insurance. He yeah. worked his way through it and ended up being this force, tiny, yes, but he changed me, So, and I know I can't be the only one. So that leads me to this, and this is what I want to throw out here to kind of, uh, maybe, we're, maybe I'm going to be asking more questions than answers, but I like that anyway. Questions are more interesting than answers, is whenever I feel like, you know what, I have 11 fans, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't have, I, there's one club, one, I've been doing this 25 years. There's one club in this country that people go, Oh, Stewart's here. And they buy tickets and they come to see me and I sell out. That's the comedy attic in Bloomington. You know, that's the only club. Every other place I go, maybe there's a table that saw me last year and they brought their aunt back. Cause she's a hippie too. And whatever. But you know, um, I mean, when we did the drop in South Bend, Indiana, I'm not saying that place was packed, but a man rented a bus and took 25 of his friends up from wherever the hell it was to come see you. Yeah. Over a hundred fr- miles. When I had a fringe with you, people were coming. So you have places. You, okay. Starting, so I have 71 fans. You're right. starting to, I'm you're just starting saying, to build. Yeah. Well, well it's, it's been a slow build, but you're getting right. been a slow build. <laughs> I mean, if that guy hadn't gotten a good deal on that bus, right. Then we would have canceled that show. He came with the bus load of people that are fans. Right. And they drove. And that was, that made me feel good. That was amazing. I mean, I never had anybody rent a bus to bring people. To Nobody my show. has anyone else bring a, I mean, rent a bus. That, that's, yeah. that's what we're trying to say is that like, look, you know, we might go at places and do well, but nobody's renting a fucking bus. Yeah, but I'm still not. Yeah. We get what you're saying. We you get what you're saying. Okay, thank you. You have a small but passionate. I have fan a base, small but passionate. And you were trying to, for comedic effect, say eleven, and to be a little self-deprecating. Well, yeah, but or a lot self-deprecating. Yes. But it's not like I have a million. Eleven is closer to the actual number of that, fans I have than a million. Uh, I would say that's. Fair. Oh, that, thank you, that's thank you for allowing me to be uh, honest. By the way, so also like a hobo would be like David <laughs> Banner, like he kind of hoboed around so that people wouldn't. Yes, so, so he, David Jansen and the Fugitive also. And a the hobo. Fugitive was a hobo, mm-hmm. so there's some, there's some, there's some hero hobo stories. Yeah, 
Yeah, though, of course, once again, you know, David Banner didn't choose to give up being a scientist to hit the road. You know, he had rage issues. And arguably <laughs> he had rage met- issues. Arguably, arguably a metaphor for alcoholism. And that's right. what he got. Because right. basically he gets to a town, right? He, it's going okay. And then uh, some shit happens and he breaks a lot of stuff. And then he's got to go on to the next town. That is a clear metaphor for alcoholism. Also... Being a road comic. That's very right, also being a road comic. Yeah. That's, right. that's the closest TV show the, to the reality of road comedy. Right. You get there, you're angry at people. You're and angry, like, you're mad. I you, fucked this up. You On threw next- a fit in the bank because they won't cash your check. Yes. <laughs> you know? And now you got to get out of town because the manager is going to... Okay, anyway. Um, now, okay, i got to ask you. Yes, please. The equivalent Johnny Cash comes to you. Are you going to play the... Well, I don't believe in the big comedic machine. Yes, good, good call. Like somebody like whatever, like a Louis C.K. type or a Mark Maron is like, you know, I heard I got my sister pregnant. Whatever, whatever that's the wrong name of that city. <laughs> what? <laughs> if, what? Though, 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 to be honest, if Louis C.K. heard that one, if he heard it like that, he's like, you got a story about getting your sister pregnant? Because I got a lot of stories about jerking off in front of people. I think we've got a simpatico uh, moment here. <laughs> No, but okay. But yeah, some donating sperm to my sister's wife. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) This is the show about curious obsessions. Right. Or what obsessive curiosities. So So let's try to keep this shit in line. So somebody comes to you like that and says, "Ah, Lewis Black is like, I want to do this show. Right. I want to bring Stuart. Stuart, I want to bring you on the road and co-headline with you. That's not going to happen, but all right. Because Lewis Black wouldn't give that up. But whatever. My, My point is. Someone could say, look, I want to do, yeah, Lewis Black presents Stuart Huff, and it would be a three-album deal on RCA. Or it'd be Lewis Black does Stuart Huff, and then he does right. your act. Oh, that'd be weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, or, yeah, or, or I'm here's in. A, here's a, okay, good. I'm that, in. That's all I want to hear. I'm in on that, definitely. Now, let's add a, let's add a wrinkle or two and so I can jump out. Um, Lewis Black calls and says, okay, I, I heard someone gave me one of your CDs. I knocked up my sister, it's called or something. <laughs> and, uh, I love it, kid. I love it. Hey, I love it, kid. You know, the whole, yeah, sex with the family. Always been into that, right? Great comedy <laughs> gold, Lewis, baby. Is that your Lewis Black No, impression? that's like my, that's my, that's my Red Fox when he was feeling good. <laughs> it's, okay, good. Lewis Black's was, manager is calling yeah, him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so Lewis Black calls and says, yeah, I really like what you do, and I'm a big fan, and that's great, and blah, blah, blah. Now, I've got this show where you're going to play a quirky neighbor, and there's going to be – and, and he begins to describe something that I hate. I'm saying no to that. At this, at 25, I'm saying yes to that. At 30, yeah, I'm saying yes to that. I'm 45. I'm saying no to that now. And at 50, I, you're saying yes. I don't think like, I, 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 I could be wrong. I'm going to flip that on you, though. Yeah, do. And say, okay, uh, yeah, you're the wacky neighbor on a sitcom. You're not going to love that. Mm-hmm. Now, in part, that's why they call these things jobs. Uh, Pat, not, but it doesn't, but it's not going to fuck up your fans. Meaning, Pat Oswald spent 10 years on King of Queens, mm-hmm. a show that exists to me only in rumors. Right. I was not aware of Pat Oswald on that show. Right. I was barely aware that show existed. I've never watched an episode of that show. But the money from that show allowed Pat Oswald to tour all summer and not worry about 
you know, produce comedians of comedy, right? And then sort of help launch Maria, Maria Bamford, Bamford and uh, Posehn. I think it's and, great. Zach Galifianakis. I think it's great, and I don't. I don't think that uh, you know. The, I think that's great. I love all that stuff, and I don't think Patton being on King of Queens is a problem. That's great if that's what he wanted to do. I uh, when I was younger, I definitely would have done. Now I really like my life. I mean, I don't. There's things I would I would definitely change about it. I'd like to make a little more money to be a, a little more comfortable. But what the way I see it now would be this. Do I want to stop the doing this life that I really like, even if it's just for, you know, a few years or whatever, and go do this other life that I I've I've never been on a TV show. I've read for one, right? I've re- I was offered to read for the for the a role in a TV show and I did read for it, right? And I I don't think I would like it. I mean, I didn't even like reading for it, much less if I got it and had to do all that. I don't think I'd like it. And what you're saying is, in my mind, what you're saying is, do you want to do something you don't want to do for more money, or do you want to do something you do want to do for less money? Right now at my age, I'm I'm not. you're going to have to come at me. With something, All right, I'm waving I got, a bullshit flag. You're gonna have to come at come me with on, something. Dude, I, you're driving around with you, and you're like, "I gotta do something. I'm gonna be. I gotta go apply for a I, job at yes, Denny's. Like am, you'd rather I'm, work at Denny's. Look, and not I'm be a always. Comic. I'm always. I'm like a rock that is skimming over the ocean of poverty. The rock is gonna stop skimming and sink. I right. know that. And I'm saying that three episode arc on Honey, Where's the Butter? You know, where oh god, that title just honey, where's the I don't ugh. right. My Th- finances have been on life support for so long. The family has stopped crying. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do, but I'm saying, you know, the, it, there's embracing that, and there's also going. Oh wait, so this would be three weeks out of my life, and I could do, and my bills would be paid for three years. six months. Yeah, three years. Fine, three years. Where do you stop? Let me you can ask stop you. There. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about this episode. I'm talking about this. Yeah. Uh, okay. Stop ten minutes ago, but that's all right. Okay. Okay. I got no, no, I'm kidding. Go ahead. You got, I you, can't finish this. Are you out? I'm, I'm done. Are you quit? I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear your crap about how you. I can't make money at the, whatever. Like, uh, I'm that's. Just, I'm I, I, maybe I'm full of shit. I might be full of shit, but I don't know. I mean, look, look. Let, let me put it this way. Okay. The majority of the, if you could have come up with any scenario, okay? Okay, what if uh, Dave Chappelle says, you know, I, I've got this new show, and do you want to... <laughs> and you want to be the token cracker. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to be the token cracker? Yeah. Okay, great. Dave Chappelle says, you want to be the token cracker? Yeah, I'm in. I love the Chappelle show. Right. It was well-written and good, and I would like to be a part of some team like that. If... You know, if my friend Nat in L.A. said, um, you know, are you are you interested in writing for, you know, these people that are that she manages? She's an agent to. Right. And I said, if the show's good, I am. I, I, yeah, I would. The idea of being a part, even a small part of something that is is fun, well-written quality. I'm in. So it's the I'm, Chappelle show he's in for. I'm, Rodney Carrington calls you and he wants you to be his son. I know. No. Nice, nice call there. I, I was, I was going to go Bill Engvall, but Rodney Carrington's even better. No, I can't. No. I'm Come not. On. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no to it. I, I, I'm not going to be able to sleep at night. I'm going to be miserable, frustrated all the time. You know, and the only difference in my life is going to be I have a larger bank account, but I'm miserable. 
and and I'm going to be I'm going to be blunt right here and I'm just going to be blunt and I hope he never hears it. But not only am I miserable in, in performing in 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 front of his crowds, I'm also miserable watching him. I'm miserable on the bus. I'm miserable every single second I'm awake. I don't like the atmosphere I'm in all the time sitting at IHOP with the with his bus driver and roadies and him and listening to all this shit. I'm fucking furious <laughs> and miserable. And all I get out of it is more money. Okay. I say no to that. No. Okay. 25, I say yes to it. 45, right. I say no. I'm not willing to trade in this pathetic life that I've built that I love. Right. I love my life. Because you've also, you also feel, right, that creatively you're sort of hitting a stride. and you're. And I'm doing good work. I'm doing and, work that I like. Right. Right. I'm, the last two CDs I've produced, I'm very proud of. And this next one, I, it's, it's showing a little promise, you know, and I'm interested to see where it goes. And you're, you're, you're telling me I'll give you $200,000 a year to stop driving around the country doing shows, to stop hunting junk, to stop having fun, to stop writing your own material, to stop this thing that you built for two hundred grand? No. You, no, you no. just do it you for can, three years, and you, you have can, time with you your son for three years. You can sit here and tell me that I'm a romantic. You can sit here and you're full of shit, Stuart, whatever. But I'm saying no to Rodney Tarrington. Dave Chappelle, I'm in. Okay. What if, no, I'm not doing that what, shit. What, what, what if one of them this, involves I'm, you being home for six months with your son? Now you're just... I'm pulling out the This is cruel. I don't know. It's cruel. That's what, you see, because he's saying $200,000 a year. I'm like, no, no, it's $200,000... For half a year, you go into the Bill Engvall writer's room. Nobody sees you, right? You say hi to Bill in the morning. It's fine. You sit in a room with some other pretty funny people. You're not going to be... Pretty funny people? What are you talking about? Bill doesn't know anybody funny. I hope he doesn't hear this. I'm kidding. I never met the man. There are some writers. They're kids. They're funny guys. They're not going to ask you to do... Like, you know, do beats on stories. You're not, that's not going to be your role. You need to come up with six one-liners a day, and then you get to do a show. Fine. You go to Largo at night. You do, hey, I'm Stuart Huff. I'm, I, you know, no, not Trey Crowder. I'm Stuart Huff. He's the other guy. And then you go home, have a nice meal with your wife and your son, and then you go back the next day, crank out six jokes. They want six one-liners from you a day. And they're going to pay you $200,000 for half a year. Then go junking with all that money in your pocket. You can go to Mississippi or wherever the hell you, you can want. You get that giraffe that he's got to yeah. die on. Oh, I can't do it. I have to say no to that. I have to say no to it. Yeah, why you know not? Why? Because his son's only two and a half. It, it, seems, like you, it seems like you love can't your kid and you, love, and you need to be around. You don't, like, I love now, my kid. Love like him. now from like three to like seven or eight, like – that's it gets even it gets harder to not be around for that. Like right now, it's pretty easy because he's. And so then, by the way, they get like fourteen, fifteen. It's so fucking easy. Oh, it's yes. a miraculous how far you can dr- you drive. You'll drive hundreds of miles. Like, are they are they going to pay you in Sioux City? You're like, uh, no, I don't think so. But it's all right. I'm I'm gone. <laughs> I'm out of the house, honey. I'm yeah. going out for cigarettes. You don't smoke. Well, I, uh, I'm starting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what, people that are listening. Go check out Utah. Listen to it. See what you think. I've, send me an email. Tell me if you hate him, if you love him. I'm going to get the one with the stories. I'm getting Dude, that. Get the past didn't go anywhere. I'm going. Ani DeFranco, Utah Phillips. See what you think, you know? All right. All right. Thanks, Tom Simmons and Peter John Burns. Stuart Huff's Obsessive Curiosities is an on-tour production. Matt Holt 
producer. Matt Holt also wrote that sentence. If you want to support us, please rate and review us on iTunes. Anything you do is greatly appreciated. You can visit our Facebook page also at Stuart Huff's Obsessive Curiosities. We'll post items of interest there, and you can chit-chat with other obsessives. I even stop by from time to time to see if I can buy anything from anybody. I've been Stuart Huff. If you've liked my obsession as much as I do, thank you very much for listening to me.